very good book about two men falling in love <laughs> over the course of 800 years. Oh. Yes, 800 years. God, I hope, I hope nobody listens to the last five minutes of this. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, guys. Thanks for listening in. Today we have a fantastic guest, one of my really good friends. I'm really excited to introduce her. This is Ondine. She'll be telling us all about her fun DM experiences today. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. How long have you been DMing for? About three to four years, I think. Was since the first time I DM'd. Like the first time I DM'd was like a one shot. It counts. It sure did. It was very. It was a very weird abstract thing that we never ended up finishing, but it exists. I wonder if that's like a new DM thing, or if that's just an all DM thing. Where in one shots, it's so hard to get them to be like that. You know, three to four Perfect hour mark. They always end up being like eight hours long. <laughs> I think it's like a DM thing in general. Like, I don't know about you, but especially when I plan for sessions and stuff like that. Oh my god. I would so the last game that we played was basically like mystery oriented and so they would have cases that they would be dealing with. And I'd plan for easy cases to last like maybe one session, you know, and I knew that they would take about four hours per session. That's about all that the group could do because a lot of them were like new people. But then they would take like three or four sessions to solve like the easiest, easiest like bank robbery we watched the person rob the bank and run and we just need to catch them situation but it must be more <laughs> also to be fair they they knew me well enough to know that it almost always was more <laughs> <laughs> I, even if it was like a simple case i would always tie it back into like the main storyline and they would they would basically like follow after things and then they would completely ignore other storylines that i wanted them desperately to look at Yes. There's always that running joke of when DMs take like puzzles out of cereal boxes and they're like, <laughs> here you go, solve this. And the players are like, wait a second, I've seen this before. And they spend like hours and hours solving it. And then you spend days or weeks setting up something very complicated and then they just are like solve it in like five minutes and you're like, oh, that's fine. I'm not a fan of puzzles. I don't think I have ever put a puzzle in any of my games or one shots because like Natalie is a person mm -hmm. hates puzzles. And so I did play in a like this whole thing was a puzzle and my character was a barbarian, not very intelligent and useless in this puzzle anyways. So like my like my play my character was like breaking inside the game. But it was also Natalie breaking outside, outside of the, the game. game. I think I told you this before, but like pieces of our subconscious definitely attach to our characters. <laughs> I completely, I, I'm starting to see that more and more. Whereas like, I was like, this character is going to be pretty different from my personality. And then I was like, oh no, maybe yeah. not. <laughs> even, even if the personality is completely different, like you do draw from stuff that you know and that you like. I have noticed that even my favorite like NPCs and the favorite characters that I've made all have very similar things going on with them just because like I like that trope and that's sort of what you end up rolling with even if you don't mean to. I interviewed someone recently who said that's what you do. Like when you create a different persona. It was actually who I interviewed yesterday. It was the DMs from Dra Dungeons and Drag Queens. Right, yeah. And they were saying that when you create a drag persona, like you pick something from your personality 
because I had asked like, do you create like something completely different or is it, you know, the polar opposite of you or is it something of you and you just, and they, they said, you just kind of pick something because you have to have something that you know. So the same thing works in D&D. When you pick a character, you have to have something that you know, and then you just make it exaggerated. Yeah, you, you make it not necessarily like a, a self-insert or anything like that, yeah. but like you take characters, like characteristics that you enjoy seeing. Agreed. What is your favorite NPC that you've ever created? Okay, if any of my players listen to this, they get it. <laughs> <laughs> so my last game, um, my last game actually was not Dungeons and Dragons. It lasted for, I think we went like two whole years. It was a game called City of Mist which is like not an especially well-known game, but like the actual premise of it is like amazing. It's basically like a city, surprise, that you you generate among the group. Everyone in the city is basically sort of associated with slash attached to like cultural icon or like mythological figure or like urban myth, stuff like that. So like in our campaign, we had like, like a fairy and I made Mothman an NPC. I had Anubis as an NPC but they're people. They're people who have like the powers based off of whatever myth or whatever they're connected to. So we had like a ton of different characters. My favorite was definitely that Anubis NPC though. And I used to work a really just not a good job at all. But on the plus side, it meant that I had a lot of downtime to think about things. So at first that was bad for me just because of where I was like mentally. But eventually like with when the game started, I would just think about the game like all the time. I would plan cases. I would do all this stuff. And I remember this NPC literally started off as like a little, um, a label that I, I printed out because we had the label maker there. I'd print labels and just stick them to my arm and write on them. To, like, <laughs> and then I could take them home and put them on my book. That way I would have notes for myself in case I had like a really good idea because I have thoughts and then forget about them, even if they're the best idea I've ever had. And so I had, I still have the little note that was, it just says Anubis writes children's books. That's literally the entire <laughs> note I left to myself because I was just like, it would be really cool if I made an NPC that was a children's book author and also he was he was the avatar of Anubis. That would be pretty cool. I'll make him like a secondary NPC. Then he ended up being like one of the most important NPCs in the whole game because I liked him so much, but also because they wouldn't leave him alone. This poor man just wanted to be left alone. He was like basically a hermit. He just wrote his books and just stayed in his house in pajamas all day long, just wanted to be left alone. And these people continually came to his house like, Silas, Silas, we have a problem. We're, we're the mafia's trying to kill us. He's like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do about this problem? He's like, Silas, please help. We have a problem. You know things about the city. And he's like, why won't you leave me alone? I imagine him in like this robe and you know like straight up yes let me get you a cup of tea (laughs) he was also to be fair he was like I think like 38 he's not like an old old man (laughs) I I mean he emotionally he was a very old man but I mean he's Anubis he is he he's been through a lot of things my poor I did this to him I don't know why I'm like oh my poor son oh he's been through so many terrible things like I did all of them to him like I I am the one who did that (laughs) I love Silas I love him so much I miss him every single day but he ended up being like (laughs) he ended up being very important to the story I'll tell you tell I'll tell you what (laughs) (laughs) there are some things about City of Mist like a lot of them are basically the the City of Mist book 
at least the original one, is both the system and a ton of story ideas. So, like, they have a ton of riffs, is what they call them, of, like, Alice from Alice in Wonderland. Oh, my gosh. There's literally, like, probably a couple hundred options in there. But they also had options for, like, the bad guys, like, the the major players that can be and should be in your city. And I took I took a few of those. But there are some things where I disagreed with the authors of the book, where I was just like, no, I don't think this bounty hunter should be the punisher and be, like, a dangerous person that the PCs should be fighting against and might they might get on his bad side or whatever i think he should adopt a child (laughs) to be fair i didn't plan that it just happened it happened because their very first case they basically found a kid who had been shot but he was a shapeshifter so he'd been shot in the form of an adult and they didn't realize like who he was until he changed back and so the kid changes back he's been shot and this this guy whose name is spider conveniently um the punisher guy his name is Literally spider is the nickname they went with. I don't decide these things. I decide some things, but not all of them. But I made spider be the one who hired the kid to basically impersonate this like politician, but he didn't mean for him to get shot. He was just doing a job that was offered to him and he knew this kid could shapeshift and stuff like that and that this would give the kids some money. And so the players wanted to basically adopt the shot child, but they rolled very, very badly. And I was like, well, I'm not just going to leave the child. I guess he's going to adopt the child. And so for the rest of literally two years of the campaign, Spider suddenly has a child. (laughs) It made him much more approachable. Congratulations, you are now a father. A single father raising a beautiful child. Who's been shot. Who's been shot. CP got better, it's fine, don't worry about it. (laughs) How many different tabletop RPGs have you played? I have played, let's see, 5th edition, City of Mist, Monster of the Week. I think... I think that's all, actually. The majority the majority of my RPG time generally has been spent in Dungeons & Dragons, but the most amount of time that I've spent as a DM has been in that City of Mist game, which, oh man, it got so complicated, and I had so many moving pieces. They, oh my god, the definitely the best I've ever felt, the most like touched I've ever felt as a DM was my players surprised me by bringing to one session a conspiracy board that they had made. <laughs> they literally had a huge long poster board that was like no joke 10 or 15 feet long where they had printed out pictures like the reference pictures that I had given them of all of the NPCs and they straight up with string connected all of the NPCs and they were just like based on what they knew in the game like as characters and I would see them connecting things incorrectly and I'd be like mm-hmm <laughs> but it was just I actually cried <laughs> because I was just well, like it's gonna be us in our campaign I mean basically but it's gonna be hard for us because we're, we're so far apart physically so <laughs> we'll make an electronic yeah but it's just like seeing that all of this time and all this effort that I put into this game and they care they care a lot they care enough to spend money on making this and time on making this conspiracy board for this thing that like I don't know, for the most part existed in my head up until the point where I would share it with them. The fact that they cared about my mysteries and the cases and the NPCs that much and that they were that invested in it was like mind blowing. <laughs> That's a good feeling. That's a really good feeling when Such you're a like, good feeling. Oh, oh, they're listening. Yeah, they're, they're listening. They remember when this happened. They remember everything. It's and it's also because that campaign was so personalized. I would take 
occasionally like NPCs from the book or like take plot points that were suggested from the book and sort of move them into my own cases or like change the NPCs to fit our campaign or just sort of combine them with NPCs that I made myself to sort of make it a completely personalized experience for them. And so much of that campaign changed based on what they did and who they talked to that it was very nice to have the people who I spent all this time working for actually pay attention. <laughs> I like changing sort of the, the narrative in terms of like stereotypical stuff. So like, for instance, I had in actually the first case they did in City of Mist, they ended up going to this bar that I hadn't named because I am very bad at place names, which was good for me in City Mist because you, you just stick to one city. But I forgot to name the place, so I ended up calling it the Red Herring <laughs> because I'm a jerk. But it was a biker bar and upstairs it was, I don't know if brothel is the correct term to use. The, they were sex workers that worked upstairs basically. And they ended up going there, like one of them ended up basically falling in love with one of the, one of the, the women who worked up there. And I had planned a bunch of stuff with her, not in advance, like she didn't exist up until the point where they went upstairs. I, I had not created this character. And then I ended up incorporating her into the campaign and having her connected to a bunch of things. It didn't end up actually happening, but it was super interesting. I really enjoy sort of giving, especially women in those situations, more power. So like, for instance, the oh, yeah. madam, the madam of both of like the motorcycle club and the upstairs, um, like sex workers, they she was based on medusa so i i'm a big fan of medusa mythology if anybody wants to look it up they can but basically medusa got the rough end of the stick on that one she did not deserve what she got so i was just like well she's gonna be cool in my world <laughs> my world she's gonna be cool and have cool powers and she's gonna be very successful and i love her um they came back to mama's a lot for information and stuff like that because she did also have a lot of connections. Man, I love that game. I love that game. I miss it all the time. <laughs> you make such interesting characters. I love making characters. I think that's like my favorite thing. I love making NPCs and I especially love connecting them to each other in like weird ways and stuff like that. Like ways that aren't very apparent upon first meeting. Somebody that they met I don't know, by chance just somebody who had been kidnapped or something like that is actually connected to Silas or Mama or whoever through just mutual friends. It's a it's a small city, give or take. I think learning to do things online it's helped a ton. Yeah, I think especially with the pandemic, D and D mm -hmm. learned to move online, and so it's not. I mean, sure, like meeting in person is still you know wonderful, and to get to have that face to face interaction. But I think learning to do it more through Zoom or Discord I mean, or whatever. We would have never played. Like, you and I would have never met. We would have never met. Absolutely. Yeah. And that would have been tragic. <laughs> I would be stuck in, I would still only have one campaign going on. And now well, I'm in three, almost four. Thankfully, thankfully, the infrastructure for that sort of stuff already sort of existed. So, like, Roll20 and D&D Beyond were already, like, going pretty strong. So, like, it wasn't things needed to suddenly start existing for D&D to work online because a lot of people were already doing D&D online or at least having like partial online component. Like one of my first campaigns was not the one, I didn't run it, but I was in it. It was four or five years ago now and it was entirely online with a lot of my friends from California. Do you feel like it being online can maybe inhibit the emotion behind it or the RP? If you have good enough RPers, you can get 
through that information. Like you can convey it. I mean, take for instance, all of the D and D podcasts that exist. You don't need to be in the room with those people or even see them to have an emotional connection to what's going on. For instance, the, the my favorite go-to is actually the adventure zone. The number of times that I have cried <laughs> listening to that podcast oh, is like- Okay, uh, maybe I just need to give it another shot. Everybody says the adventure zone. But, I tried. Do balance, tried. just do balance. Like, listen, okay, here, if you want me to convince you that you should listen to the adventure zone and ignore my leg, but I have an adventure zone tattoo. <laughs> Yeah, and then on the other side, a little doop. Maybe I just need to get through the first few episodes, like get past the first few episodes. Yeah, Here There Be Gerblins is kind of, do balance for sure. Balance is on another level in terms of like quality. Amnesty and Graduation have not gotten me as hard as Balance did. They're both very good, obviously, but Balance is like just narratively very, very strong. The episodes I was listening to, I guess some of them were still learning to play D&D. And oh. so they were going through like all of those, which is fantastic, especially if you don't know how to play D&D, would be great to listen to, but it was just so slow for me. If you don't know D&D, I would recommend much more strongly listening to Critical Role, because that's actually how I learned to play Dungeons and Dragons. Hey, that's how I originally yeah. learned was listening to Critical Role. I mean, because like they, they go very specifically into what they're doing. They're like, because, I mean, they have to do math. So they're just like, okay, well, I rolled a 17 or whatever. And then it's like plus three from my dexterity plus like two from my proficiency. Because they have to talk it through usually because they're not mathematicians by profession. I will say um, one of the running kind of jokes, kind of sticking points is that one of them in the adventure zone never really learns how to play Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) One of them. The rest of them get very, very good at it. And granted, they are very huge fans, Griffin especially, of throwing rules to the wind if it means doing a cool thing. So like, for instance, a spell that should take, I don't know, like a full minute to cast, it would be much cooler if I just cast it this turn, if you just cast it this turn. So I'm going to let you do it because that would be super cool. The rule of cool. Yeah, it's, I'm a big fan of that. Critical role, Mercer's much more stringent, like compared to Griffin. Griffin is definitely there for like story and the the way that Adventure Zone is set a balance, especially is set up is like, we are here to tell you a story and let's find out how that story works. Mercer makes an amazing story, but it's also like a long-term D&D campaign that is meant to be good for the players. It's also meant to obviously like be enjoyable for the audience, but he, he does lots of combat, sometimes entire episodes that are literally just buying things um like which is like six hours of listening to people buying things is a lot there's some long episodes i still like those one of those i got my favorite npc ever from oh really which was victor who victor in the campaign one he's the he sells things to percy oh he's the gu- he's the gu- the the gunpowder guy <laughs> he will forever so i actually modeled one of my NPCs after Victor. I love him. Matt made him a hundred percent to be a throwaway character and and they were just like we love him. That is that happens so frequently. I swear to god. It's literally well this person's gonna be here for one moment. They're just here to like drop off a clue or something like that and my players are just like what's your name? Where are you from? How's your family? What are your powers? And I'm just 
I didn't make any of this stuff as a person. Meanwhile, I try to make the most interesting weirdo character who shows up out of the blue at a bunch of different crime scenes or whatever. And they'll just, hey, Greg, bye. <laughs> and it's just, you guys are killing me. You guys are physically killing me. I have an ulcer now because of you people. <laughs> I have an ulcer. I'm requirement to be a DM, you must... You must, you will gain an ulcer if you do not already have one. Yeah, it's... I will say, I'm also really bad about that. I played <laughs> in a, uh, in like a, it was like a prequel to a campaign session, and my son ran behind my camera shirtless. Yeah, I remember that. And one of the other players was like, oh, look, there's a little kid. Well, the DM just took it and ran with it, and he was like, yes, in comes this child, blah, 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 and just went with it so well and integrated this whole npc based off the fact that my kid ran behind yeah, me it's i mean and we went into this mountain and there was this goblin that i loved he was a hundred percent a villain yeah but him played him in such a phenomenal way that natalie fell i named this goblin dobby I adopted him. <laughs> I ended up killing two other PCs because they were like, no, he's evil. We're going to kill him. They didn't like talk about it. They're like, we're just going to kill him. So I killed them because I was like, this is my Dobby. I ended up starting an entire war in this world over this throwaway character. A throwaway goblin. A throwaway goblin, but I love it. However, that will be my downfall. That is going to get me killed in so many campaigns because that's my weakness. It's not the cute characters. It's the characters that are so ugly they're cute. <laughs> oh my god. I love them. I want I want to adopt them all. And I always get oh. a plant. My NPCs, I always get, if I have like a favorite NPC, I get a plant. And I name it after that NPC. Oh, a plant in real life? In real life, I get a plant and name it after Wow. That's, that's a lot. I get attached to my, into my NPCs. But that's, going back to like the, the your kid running shirtless through the back, Dungeons and Dragons is really, it's just a big improv exercise. I think I talked to you a little bit about this before, but what it is, is it's just practicing working on your ability to roll with weird situations. It's, it's doing it in character and it's doing it through like the, the shield of role playing, but it's improv at the end of the day. Like you, you have to figure out as a DM, as a player, especially as a DM, if you roll really badly or really well, what happens? One of my favorite things, again, I'm just going to talk about City Mist because I love City Mist, but one of my favorite things about the system that it uses, which is like powered by the apocalypse, well, vaguely, you get... All you get is 2d6, basically. There's no, like, d20s and nothing like that. You roll 2d6, and if you get a 1 to a 6, you fail. If you get a 10 to a 12, you succeed. And if you get a 9 to a... Sorry, a 7 to 9, you have a mixed success. So a mixed success means you can get the thing that you want, but it's going to cost something. So, like, you could grab the kid that's uh, about to get hit by the car and pull him out of danger, but you, in turn, will get hit by the car versus, like, fully pulling the kid out or both of you getting hit by the car. Mixed successes are super interesting because, for me, I would oftentimes give my players the option of basically seeing what's going to, not necessarily having future sight, but having a feeling as to what's going to happen. Like you see that the car is coming and you see you don't have enough time to pull that child away, but you do have enough time to push them without getting yourself out of the way. What do you do? 
they, they would sometimes take me up on it and then they would sometimes not do the thing. There are times where narratively it allows you to make a decision about who your character is as a person. Do you try to save the kid knowing full well that you could die? Or do you just let the kid get hit by the car? They, they also have that in Call of Cthulhu. Mm. There's like hard successes and extreme successes. And, but I think it went the same way with failure. Yeah, it's, it is, it's super interesting. I'm a big fan of having situations where nobody's necessarily in the right. There, there's obviously in my campaigns, people who are clearly evil, you know, but there are also a lot of people who like, let's go back to Silas, for instance. Silas was technically helping the big bad guy for the campaign the whole time on purpose. He was helping the bad guy to get what he wanted. Granted, it was because he made a deal with him before he even knew the party that he would help this guy because basically <laughs> he was trapped in the middle of a depressive state and had didn't know what what to live for uh and so the the big bad was basically like well i could give you a really cool story if you help me and so he agreed to it because he didn't have anything else going for him and he was you know tied to that contract basically the whole time and so he was torn between helping the party members who, despite himself, he actually grew to like, um, and this almost fey contract that he was attached to, that he had attached himself to. So would you consider yourself more of a prepper or more of an improver? Oh my god, I'm such a prepper. <laughs> when I say that I would spend almost my whole shift just thinking about the game, I would have cases, I had cases planned like a year and a half before they happened whoa granted that was partially because like i one knew the story the storyline that i wanted to take generally and two they took so much longer for some of the cases that i thought they were going to <laughs> <laughs> like i would have i didn't plan that many cases i think we might have done like 11 cases total or something like that if that but i i knew what for instance i wanted one of the penultimate cases to be so a long time in advance, I would have cases basically ready to go. The majority of them, like I said, lived in my head, the, the general plans for them. Like I wouldn't have the whole thing pages upon pages written out, but there was one case where there was an explosion at one of their friend's detective agencies because he was like, he was like a private eye who didn't believe in magic, which was really funny because they kept trying to make him believe in magic, but he did not believe in it at all. <laughs> he, his detective agency blew up. Then a mysterious burned body was found there. Uh, and also one of the PCs went into a coma. <laughs> um, yeah, and so did like four other people, four other random people, some of whom they knew, some of whom they didn't. And so they had to get to the bottom of like, why are they in this coma? What the fuck is going on? And all this stuff. Oh my God. What are the things that like messed me up so bad? I didn't think this, I gave this character this option. And I didn't think she was going to take it. The reason why she went into a coma is because she made a literal deal with a demon. I offered it to her, thinking full well she wouldn't give up her healing powers <laughs> to, to do it, to like take this. But the, the player was just like, listen, my character has been looking for her brother for 20 years she will give up anything, even if it means giving up her ability to save her friend's life. And so I had to replan the whole 
campaign and everything because like I had fully planned for this all this coma stuff to happen and the explosion and everything I didn't plan for one of the PCs to be part of it and so beforehand <laughs> right beforehand like a case or two before I was like hey guys just in case maybe make a second character <laughs> just in case maybe make a second character in your pocket <laughs> that all players should have backup characters I think they should have a general idea, probably, for one. The thing is, you should focus on the character that you have and not the character that you don't, because if you focus on, like, if you plan for this whole character, this whole plot, all of this stuff that potentially is never going to happen, you're going to shift focus away from the character that you mostly want to play, you know? Focus on the one that you got, I think, is the best way to put it. I do not have backup characters. Like, both of my characters and my two campaigns that I play in, I'm I'm all in with them. I'm attached to them. I will be devastated if they die yeah that's that's the sort of reason why i I would suggest not really planning a second character just in a lot of detail yeah because it's also like i'm a huge fan of role-playing games as a, a way of storytelling i mean i guess in theory i could make a i could write a book that is basically the equivalent of what our city of mist game is plan the cases in advance have somebody go through them how I would want them to go through them. That's not outside of the realm of my capabilities, but it's not as fun. A lot of the things that happened were because they did weird things or they rolled well or badly, Mm -hmm. or they chose to take a right instead of a left proverbially. The way I describe it to the layman, it's telling a story with your friends and not knowing what direction the story is going to go. So you would consider yourself more of like a storyline DM rather than like a combat DM Mm -hmm. or... Yeah, I only, I use combat solely as like a vehicle to get to, you know, the next plot slash something to amplify the plot or what's going on. The battles are there. I don't really love the math of fighting, the logistics of getting the exact number of enemies correct to get the correct, yeah, challenge rating. I just don't like it very much. I mean, as a player, it can be fine and fun. But as a DM, for me personally, I like engaging them and making, I mean, engaging them in terms of like a storyline and making them invested. It's just my way of DMing. It's not to say that combat focused DMs are like them any less. Everybody has their own way of playing. I can definitely relate to that. I don't care for combat as a player. Yeah. I've worked with some of our other DMs and... I'm trying to get better at it, at least for DMing purposes, but they made the valid point that it's okay if I don't like combat. You don't have to love every single aspect of the game. Yeah. Be at a hundred max. I love every bit of it. It's okay to not have all of it be your favorite. Yeah. It's people have their preferences, just like they have preferences with characters. It's you make the things that you like and I mean, it shows too for your players. Like if you get the right set of players that enjoy the experience that you are able to give to them, what does it matter if you guys never do combat? Exactly, yeah. So if you could go back in time to baby Ondine DM, what advice would you give her? I think, I mean, after a few years, with all the prepping that I do, just as a a very like prep-focused person, I think I, I would tell like, baby on Dean to take them off like let them go off the rails because that's fun it's it's weird it's interesting and it can be really nerve-wracking and chaotic but some of the best things that have ever happened in any of my games have been when my players did something that 
not only did I not expect, but I could have never imagined. I, I would end up coming up with all of these different ways of dealing with the situations that they would present to me. And it made for a much more interesting story than, for instance, my first couple of one shots, which were very much, you go to this place and you will fight this thing. And there are this many things in this room and they are this distance from you. And then you will go to this room once you are completed with that room and you will do this and that and that. I had a hard time at first sort of putting together that it wasn't just me showing my friends through a story. It was me and my friends writing a story. Yeah, I, I, that was something I recently heard as well as it's not the DM writing a story. It's the players writing the story and the DM gives it the, the adjectives. Yeah, we're, we're the narrators basically. Side note, one of the things that my players, my players, like I said, they give me, they gave me an ulcer. I really, I really love them. I love them so much. <laughs> I say through good at Well, Silas used to be an illustrator for local flora and fauna guidebooks. Like, you know, you're like birds of the Northwest sort of thing. And he used to have a partner. The players found out that the partner died. But Silas wouldn't tell them basically anything about the the man who used to be his partner. It was a, a rough subject for him. It was a very touchy subject. And, but the, they really wanted to know more about this person. And Silas seemed to be the only one who knew next to anything about this guy. And so one of my players, one of the players, he, he asked Silas if he could just see, just borrow one of his books, just borrow one of the fucking illustrated books. And then he, and then they roll out of Silas's house and they're just like, I want to look at the author's. <laughs> 10 million like pounds of planning can really just have like one wrench thrown in it but just by the fact that you don't think about everything you physically can't you're human i was so, i was not enraged but i was just like, so smart this so i'm so dumb i'm like i can't <laughs> believe i didn't see that coming i was just like yeah sure borrow one of the books who gives a shit like here's a book who cares and like he straight up gave them the name and all of his stuff and my player was just like, what's the author's name? I'm <laughs> just like, Andy, got you. It is, it is, it is, it is that. Really fast. Going back, way, way back to when uh, we talked about how games will die or, you know, DMs will leave or friends will leave or whatever. Um, definitely that's happened to me enough times where I don't know if everybody else has this experience, but you, at least when... I have been in a game, it's been pretty clear when the game is not coming back, when the game is basically over. No matter how optimistic you are about something, like after a certain amount of time, after a certain amount of drama or whatever is happening, you can tell a game is gone. And there have been enough times with that where like, I've been like, damn, I like, I know the game is over or I know I'm not part of this friend group anymore, but I would really love to know what you had planned for my character. Like, I really want to know. There was one game that I'm not part of anymore where my character very clearly had something really weird going on in the background and the DM like never told me what it was and I'm never gonna know that. So with this game, with the City of Mist game, when the court, like when we got put in quarantine because it was an in-person game, we basically didn't see each other and you know, it'd be months and months and we were just maybe sometime soon and it got to the point where it's been since the beginning of the year was the last time we, we had the last session. I've moved an hour and a half an hour and a half south of of everybody else it's it's not happening we tried to do it once over video but it's it's a different feeling and so some games i think are better sticking to online some are better to i mean have in person some might be able to do both but i don't know 
Um, it's also hard when you've got half in person and half online. Yeah, that half in person, half online is really rough. But with this game, like, I knew that my players were super invested in it. And I knew that one of them was literally going to be leaving the country soon. Three out of four of them had never done a role-playing game before, had, like, had ever done any role-playing at all before. And so they didn't know the way games go. They didn't have the, the heartbreak that I have had of not knowing what happened to my characters after all is said and done. So I just sat a couple of them down and I was just, okay, listen, can we all agree that the game's over? Yeah, we were basically pretty certain that it was over. And I was like, okay, do you have any questions? And I just sat them down for two, three hours and went, they went through all of their questions. Everything that was still lingering, every little person in a trench coat that they never identified, every little side character, the intricate web that I had created, who was the bad guy, what was going on with this person. They just asked me questions for like three hours. And even if it's, it's not the same thing as having been able to finish the campaign, but at the very least, they know what was going on like they they have the answers to these mysteries that they otherwise wouldn't have had it's rough to accept that the game is not going to continue and it's it's rough to give up all of these secrets you know that i had kept inside of my head for two-ish years but it's just i wish more dms would do that give them that closure yeah even if it's like a year later just give them the closure i also am the sort of person who wants people to know secrets so it's really hard for me to keep uh-huh. secrets. Oh, it's so hard. So Omdine and I play in a in an all-girl campaign. It's fantastic. It's phenomenal. It's <laughs> there are so many secrets. There is literally an absurd so amount of secrets. secrets. There's so many secrets. It's like this crushing weight that just breaks me a little bit each day. It's also because we have so many days now until we're going to play again that it's just every single day. It's like, guess how many days we have left until we can play again? <laughs> I'm so, I'm like, I love this campaign. I love every campaign that I've ever been in, honestly. I think I put a lot of effort into campaigns, like even where I'm just the player. Like I think about my characters a lot. So the last few questions are less about Undine as a DM and more about Undine as a person. Cause we like, oh. and we don't warn anybody so we can see the look of terror in your eyes. Oh, that's fine. I love talking about myself. Perfect. If you could recommend a book a movie, and a TV show. Oh my gosh. Everybody gets that same look on your face that you have right now. Yeah, it's hard. Okay. Um, yeah, if I recommend a movie, you know, just watch Back to the Future. It's just a fucking good movie. Like, if you if you haven't seen it in a while, just watch Back to the Future. It's just good. I just like it. <laughs> and then a TV show. Listen, I know if any... <laughs> the people listening to this, yes, you can call me a weeaboo. I don't care. But I would strongly suggest if anybody's looking into really good writing, especially really good nonlinear writing, to watch Baccano, uh, B-A-C-C-A-N-O, exclamation point. The exclamation point is important. That's part of it. It is an anime that is really short. It's only about uh, 12, 13 episodes, I want to say. But it does a very good job of having four days told nonlinearly from the perspective of an ensemble cast. And so you get to see different points of view on different events as they happen. And conveniently, Nat, it also involves a train where lots of things go very, very badly. <laughs> I don't know anything about trains where things go badly. Nothing's ever gone bad on a train, ever. I did think about Bacchino when Addie put us on that hell train. A book that I read recently is 
I cannot pronounce it. It's called Have an Official's Blessing. The uh, just the the classic line from people who've read it is just read TGCF, which is like the the shorthand for like the the man, original Mandarin name for the book. Uh, it has been unfortunately only fan translated, but it is a very good book about two men falling in love <laughs> over the course of eight hundred years. Oh. Yes, eight hundred years. It is pretty long, but it is also very very good. God, they've invented love. It's so beautiful. I, I feel like if I didn't tell people to read that, I would feel bad for not recommending it. It is a very good book, even separately from the fact that, like, the romance is very good. <laughs> and if you can read in Mandarin, you'll love it all the more. Yeah, you probably will, because I'm sure there's a lot of symbology and stuff like that that is missed just by the fact that certain words don't exist. It's, it's just so good. It's like... It's such a trip. It's like a it's it's like a fantasy adventure. I'm not gonna say the romance is a side plot because it's not very strongly tied into the entire plot as a whole, but it's very it's just very well written. Like even the translation is amazing. Read it. Read TGCF. <laughs> Read it. Read TGCF. God, I hope <laughs> I hope nobody listens to the last five minutes of this. Nobody ever listens that far. Uh, All right, last question. Mm -hmm. It's the most important. Mm -hmm. Dirty Dancing or Footloose? Uh-oh. I've only seen Footloose, so I have to go with Footloose. All right, okay. I ha yeah, I haven't seen Dirty Dancing, so I, I couldn't think it if I wanted to. <laughs> well, highly recommend it. Uh, well, thank you so much for doing this, Andine. I love you. You're welcome. And I love you too, Nat. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you guys, everybody else, for listening in. And don't forget to check out Clash of Quests every Saturday at 1900 UTC to watch six forever DMs uh, struggle with DMing and playing at the same time because D&D's not complicated enough and we like to make it more complicated. Woo! 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 Right, thank you guys. Have a great night, Bye. day, morning, whatever time it is for you. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see y'all Monday with a brand new podcast. Don't forget, Nat 1s are just as fun as Nat 20s. <laughs>